Welcome to the Movie Journey Podcast, where we break down every film from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and the only thing we could heist is everyone's time. And I'm Dean Jeffrey, and if we were as daring as Jules Dassin, the next 30 minutes would have no dialogue. No, I can't do it. <laughs> that's, all, that's, the, that's the most silence I can do. And today we're breaking down the 1955 French heist film classic, Rafifi. Yes, we are. This is, uh, from everything I see, it's not just a French heist film. It is the heist classic film, isn't it, Hendo? The film that inspired many heist films to come. Hmm. Now, before we get into that, Dean, I do have to put a little caveat on last week's episode because I didn't want to mention it. That I didn't want to mention it at the end of the episode because it would have uh, broken the rule. But you did not do a Hamilton reference last week, so boom, the streak's broken. <laughs> Suck it. <laughs> uh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe I dropped one in and you just didn't notice. No, I've noticed. Believe me, I was making sure of it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, before we get into Rafifi, just a quick heads up, we'll be spoiling it from the get-go, so if you haven't had a chance to see it, you've been warned. And with that being said, let's get into Rafifi. So, Rafifi, released in 1955, written and directed by Jules Dassin, the adaptation of Auguste Le Breton's novel of the same name, starring Jean Sauvet, Carl Monet, Robert Manuel, and Jules Dassin himself. Jules Dassin, an American. Did not know he was American until I saw this trivia. An American communist, Hendo. We have a yeah, commie apparently. on our hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently he was blacklisted from Hollywood and had to leave America and... All sorts of drama. Oh, uh, living in the 50s would have been a nightmare. Yeah, because 2020 is so much better. <laughs> I'm trying maybe make our lives a little bit positive here, but no, you've got to slam it back down. I wasn't even thinking about 2020 till you brought that back. Thank you very much. Fair enough. Not sure how it slipped your mind. Hey, while we're on it, do you want to just pop around later and um, hang out for a bit? Oh, wait. Sure. We can't. <laughs> we can, in f- but, you know, it comes with a price. Ah, uh, price I'm willing to pay, Endo. <laughs> <laughs> So, using his native language, Dessin wrote the screenplay to Rafifi in six days with the help of screenwriter René Wheeler, who subsequently took the material and translated it to French. Now, I did read that the adaptation of this novel is, like, barely there. The heist was a very small part, apparently, of the source material, and the original author was very unhappy with his, uh, you know, his, his novel being turned into this film. Well, I did see that there was uh, a lot of hefty racism as well in the film to like the the, the different uh, gangs and and uh, villains that were in the the novel itself. I also saw that there was a bit of necrophilia as well in the film uh, in the in the book. Sorry, so Justin was like, oh, I can't think of any logical reason to put that in the movie, so we'll cut that out too. Fair enough. So, Desin actually portrays the role of Caesar in this film. It was only because the actor that he hired had some contract problems, so he had to skip out just before they started filming. His contract problems are just AKA for wanted more money and we said no. That's usually the case, isn't it? Every yes. time we, re- we talk about contract disputes. Hmm. So, did you look up what Rafifi means? Well, I did look it up, but they dedicate a five-minute song to it and I got a completely different uh, meaning from it. <laughs> Going off this stupid song, I thought Rafifi was like sex, but apparently- That's not what I got. It's just like guys fighting, like rough and tumble. Yeah, like a like a violent conflict, like a brutal show of force. Yeah. Like macho tough guy. A macho tough guy, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So even though this is a black and white film, Deseem tried to aim for some dark and gloomy uh, shots with some deep greys as the lightest it could get. He refused to film on beautiful sunny days. This supposedly caused uh, a lot of frustration amongst the producers. There was there was no doubt uh, because of the prolonged shoot, which they saw as unnecessary. Yeah, it's odd they had a prolonged shoot considering how little money they had. But I've, I think I have seen this described as film noir, Hendo. Would you say that's accurate? Doesn't film noir usually have to classify as like having a voiceover, like someone talk, like their their side of the story? Every film noir I see usually has like a you know, like a Sin City style voiceover explaining their thoughts and process along the way. Really, I've I've never heard that. I didn't think that this is a film noir. Yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't class this as film noir either. Just just quickly googling it, it's uh. It's a lot. A lot goes on about the mood of pes- pessimism, fatalism, menace, 
And then it goes on about thrillers and detective films. I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't class this as film noir, having, you know, been someone who only just read what film noir is. So, naturally, <laughs> an expert. More of an expert than me. I still haven't looked it up. So, the Mexican authorities pulled this movie from theatres after multiple burglaries were committed with the, uh, the, burgl- the burglars doing the same methods as was seen in this movie. Yeah, I did see that the old uh, foam inside the alarm box was uh, used multiple times after this film. And why wouldn't you? It was a good idea. Seems like they got caught, though. I mean, only the ones we know about. That is true. (laughs) But this was released on the 13th of April in 1955 with a runtime of 118 minutes with a tagline. The the taglines are a bit iffy here. Back in the 50s, you got taglines of, you know, the, the big cinematic feast for your eyes, like nothing that really portrays the film. The only one I could see that had any sort of reference to the movie was Tony Lestefanoi is always punctual. Wow. I can safely say that is the worst tagline we've read. One of the rare cases where a big cinematic experience would have been better. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's why they have that one as the main tagline. I'm like, "Eh, let's check the other ones. (laughs) Maybe that's because the uh, the tagline guy didn't get paid for this one because of the low, low budget of $200,000. Worldwide, though, it did gross $520,000. Look out. But was that a profit? Yes. Maybe. Maybe break even? I'm not too sure. I mean, were they spending 200000 in the 50s on marketing? Come on. The French film as well. Not really advertised to the Americans. Damn stupid Directed Americans. by a commie. A commie bastard. <laughs> uh, considering it's a, uh, a French film, there wasn't any Oscar love here. It did, however, win Best Director for Jules Dessin at the Cannes Film Festival in 1955. It was also nominated for the Palme d'Or that year, where it lost to the eventual Best Picture winner, Marty. Marty. I haven't seen it, mm. but I know you have. I have, and it's not bad. It's not bad at all. Mid, mid-tier mid Best Picture winner, but still, it's decent. Mid-tier is not bad. Mm. But let's look at the scores here, Dean. You reckon the critics or the audience have it better on Rotten, Rotten Tomatoes? That's yeah, a tough one. I'll say critics. Critics have it at 92%, and the audience have it at 95 Yeah, I'm not surprised it's close. I am surprised it's at 95 Don't ruin your review yet. <laughs> It's not ruining it. It's only making it better. <laughs> Metacritic have it at 97. Letterboxd have it at the big 4.2. But let's take a look at the history of Rafifi in the IMDb Top 250 list. This debuted onto the list on the 18th of May in 2006, right at number 250, and then surged its way up to number 185 that same year. And then for the next couple of years, had a big old scattering up and down in that in that uh, 200 to 250 portion where it ended up dropping out of the list once again. Like uh, That was about the start of 2008, and then in 2012, it peaked back onto the list and then surged all the way up to number 203, and then for the last month or two, it has dropped down to 223 with an 8.0 over 26,000 ratings. That's some journey, Hendo. Is it? I don't know. I, uh, <laughs> I mean, what is this film? Come on. Jeez, <laughs> all right, let's get into it then. Can't have a 50s film without a uh, classic title sequence of credits. Yeah. Uh, my first note is long, boring opening credits. Uh, did you skip it? Yes, I did. You bastard. Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, I wasn't into it. Hey, quick bit of trivia from me. Do you remember wow. how many pages I wrote last week for In the Mood for Love? Yeah, 24. Do you care to have a stab what I wrote this week? One and a half. No, I wrote 10. 10. It's weird. You're talking like you haven't got much to talk about here, but uh, I think I wrote less notes than you. Really? <laughs> Okay. Right, let, me, let me just do. Let me just do the uh, transfer here. Yeah, six pages for me. Wow. There you go. I'm impressed. I must say, I think I was still sort of in my in the mood for love note taking uh, style when I first started this movie because the amount of notes I end up writing about this stupid, pointless poker scene was ridiculous. <laughs> like I'm like, all right, what do we got here? Movie poker of the fifties. Uh, it, I mean, it wasn't too bad. One thing that really annoyed me, which I'm sure bothered you as well, was the people just going all in and pushing their entire stack, mixing oh, it up in the with middle? the pot. They have no Don't idea. Spice the pot. They have no idea how much he's just put in. He's got a mixture of notes, coins, and chips that are being pushed. Yeah. In. I'm like, who is organising this poker game? There's like four different varieties of things they've got in their yeah. hands. So, what is this? I can't really tell if Tony's a bad poker player or not because the guy rolls over a full house. Like, maybe he had a straight. It's five-card draw as well. It's so hard to gauge the skill level of that game now. Now? I don't know. Maybe it was more so back in the day when they, when it was the like the key poker game. 
but the poker game of choice. Yeah, thank God for uh, Texas Hold'em, eh? Hell yeah. Now, he asks this, this guy, Paulie, to stake him. And they're just like, oh, that's impossible. We can't do this during a game. Is, is this something that's not done or is this a Rafifi thing? Like, if we were playing and I busted out, I could say to you, hey, lend me 100 bucks and you could give me 100 bucks. Uh, I, th- I don't know. Uh, I feel like that it was because it was his money. It's sort of like unethical in a way. Like he's playing against his money. He's playing against his money. What do you mean? Oh, I feel like I feel like maybe if it was he gets a cut of it because it's his money, then it is it is unethical because maybe they'd be you know, um, soft playing each other. There's no mention the of of uh, yeah, I know. I don't think that's that. the case. I I think in our many games of poker, this has had to have been done before. Yes, the many times that you've had to borrow money off me because you're so shit. Well, hey, you know that's not true. Come on now. I've still got the trophy you made for me. Poker champion. What the participation it? award. What was it? 07? 08? Uh, probably 07. Tournament of champions. Poker. Legend. Dean. <laughs> that's right. Still got it on his mantle. Still got it. But no, he gives old Joe a call here. Hey, uh, Joe. You can clearly tell these guys are, are good mates here. He, he does mention that uh, his son, Tonio, is the godson of Tony. Yeah, Tony is the original, the OG godfather. Well, if that was the case, then he could have made an offer that they couldn't refuse to get that money. Yeah, he's, he, I don't know. He just he wasn't so tough in this opening scene. I've got to say, having finished the film now and looking <laughs> back at this first scene... He's so like weak in this first scene, and he comes he comes back pretty strong, doesn't he, Hendo? Interesting because Joe comes off as quite uh, the tough guy here. Yeah, and he becomes or is it yeah nothing at the end? He's quite uh, soft. Yeah, nothing. Well, that that might have a lot to do with the fact that his son's in jeopardy. Ah, soft. <laughs> wow, sorry, Ethan. <laughs> no, you gotta you gotta listen to the Godfather. All right, he knows his stuff. But we do get a bit of information about these two here. Oh, you also find out that Tony has been in prison for five years. It looks like it was due to him not ratting out Joe. So you can you can tell he's pretty loyal to the people he's with. Yeah, and you can tell that Joe uh, reciprocates that loyalty. Like when he calls him, he's just like, yeah, straight away. Yeah, I'll be over right now. Like mm-hmm. he drops everything he's doing. He's He's got all the uh, time in the world for, for Tony. I don't know. They say five years. It feels like more. Uh it does feel like more. He, he, it feels like, you know, he's spent 20 years in and then he comes out and he's got to start his life over this five years. Five years really isn't that long, is it? He's saying, like Joe's saying, I was just a kid when it happens. Like, yeah. it's been five years and you've got a kid yourself who looks like he's, what, four or five? Yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, at least five. I mean, older than five. Yeah, older than five. Yeah, I don't know. The five years, they could have said like 10 or 15, maybe even 20. That would have made much more significance. Hmm. They mentioned this uh, Mado. Is that how you say it? Mado? Mado? I think it's Mado. I wrote Marbo Mado. in my notes. Did you ever study Marbo. Did you ever study Marbo in uh, legal studies in school? It's, you know, it's the vibe. It's the, it's Marbo. It's Marbo. <laughs> that's it. The, Abori- it. the Aborigine land. That's, that's, that's all I was writing down, like Marbo, Marbo. And then I was like, Mado. God, I hope when I'm doing the podcast, I remember that it's not Marbo. Yeah, this Mado... Uh, scenario. Did she rat him out? I was just about to say because the way Tony is talking, like I've been waiting five years for this, like for revenge. Like, what's the go? I mean, from what we actually learn, I think he's just pissed that maybe she didn't uh, like visit or contact, and she just moved on real quick. Like she had a gigolo yeah. one month later or some shit. Gigolo. That's, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> well done. But that is the reason she didn't rat him out or anything. It was because yeah, yeah she, she just she moved on, just abandoned him. Yeah, from this really old guy when she's in her prime. She's not waiting five years for this. Jesus. Ah, uh, but they go to meet Mario for a coffee. What do you make of Mario in this movie? I mean, I think the build-up is pretty pretty good. I think saying, "Oh, three coffees. Who's that for, Mario? Oh, Mario's coming. Oh, who's Mario? Yeah, who's this He's guy? He's the guy who's going to organise this amazing heist." But then, really, he just turns into nothing. Um, he's just. Yeah, what does he do to contribute? Is he just? Is he just like the the guy who gets everyone into contact with everyone? Uh, I guess. I mean, he because comes he calls he calls up Caesar. He calls the guy to but, fence but, the, but, the, but, but, the jewels. But, but Caesar was not Mario's idea. Caesar was uh, Tony's idea. But Mario had to contact Caesar himself. But Mario like, contacted Tony- Caesar. But that doesn't. Yeah. He said that. Oh, once he hears that. Um, you know, Tony's involved and wants to do it, he'll be right here. So it's not like they needed Mario for the connection. It sounds like Caesar knows who Tony is and would have done it because Tony's there, not for Mario. So what do Mario and Joe contribute? 
I mean, Joe is at least, he looks like a tradie. You know, he looks like he'd be good around a drill, if you catch my drift. Mario, I don't know. I don't know. He's just the the come-with guy. Right, fair enough. So, Mario is the fourth in the rankings of heist people here. I would say, without a doubt, yeah. Even though, you, even though, you, would you put would you put Rat Caesar above him and Mario, who doesn't talk, doesn't say a word? Rat, that kind of loyalty rat in your crew. Caesar, I mean, come on, he's a rat. He's, I mean, he's, he's. I think Rat's strong. He rats him out. He, he would have died. He died anyway. Well, that's you know, he's partly to blame. Uh, I must say, uh, I think this was at the point where you decided to send me a picture of uh, Mario saying, yeah. <laughs> you think he could have a bigger suit? <laughs> His suit is ridiculous. It is like 1930s gangsters with these huge <laughs> shoulder pads and, you know, like the perfect triangle. I'm like, what is this guy doing? It looks enormous. It looks so warm. looks like he's wearing a doona, like an Udi. Weren't they still wearing these kinds of suits in the, uh, the 90s? Do you remember The Last Dance? Yeah, but I feel like they'd gone and come back. I don't think... No, I don't think it was so fashionable. I don't think that was the norm for you know forty years, was it? I don't know. I'm not sure. They start talking about this job, right? And Tony is just not into it at all. He's like, "This sounds you know kind of stupid. I don't want to do this." And they're going to do it in the middle him. of the day, one o six, middle of the day. They're going to park up. They're going to break the glass and take some stuff out of the front counter. Like what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why would Tony get but excited mate, but, for but this? Dude, Dean, Dean, the red light. There's going to be a red light. There's yeah. going to be no cars there. We'll get it in, and we'll get in the car before the light turns green again. It's like, oh, uh, what? That's so stupid. Interestingly enough, the scene is shot with the jewelry store behind them, but that was there was never a coffee shop in that region. So what they had to do was the the crew placed a table and three chairs in front of this phony window frame in the middle of the street to create the illusion that there was a cafe across the street. Yeah, whatever you've got to do to save a buck, I guess. That's right. Okay, but uh, what do we got here? We've got Tony learning that Marbo, Marbo, Mardo, <laughs> see, that wasn't even deliberate. Mardo is working at this club. Now, is this club a brothel? I think it is. Does it show Does it show enough for it to, to, well, to they be show a brothel? Like C- they show Caesar in a bedroom with the woman later on. I don't think that's in and the that's, place. And that's in the club because Pierre, if it, it looks like Pierre just walks down the hall and Caesar's there in this room. No, she, no, he is in the, the woman's dressing room. Okay, slash, you know. And we we establish from the get-go that Caesar is a, a lady killer, basically. So, just because he pulls a girl at this club doesn't necessarily mean it's a, you know, a brothel. Then you don't why, see anyone else doing why it. Why do they refer to uh, Pierre as a gigolo? I mean, you got a point, and plus, from thinking about it, think Joe about the first is- time we see uh, Mardo as well. She's talking to this guy who's like she has a partner. She's with Pierre. I think he's a pimp. And even Joe, when he's there, he's not with his wife. He's just with some woman who who he then tells go find someone your own age. Like look for another customer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I can see it. I think it's a brothel. But before they go there, they're at Joe's place, and this is where, you know, Tony finds out about Mardo and where she works and what's going on. What is this weird contraption thing they're pouring uh, their drink into? Did you see that thing? They're pouring their drink from a, a, a coffee jug that has like a, it looks like a lamp with like a hanging yeah. glass. Yeah, that's, that's like a fancy, um, is it oh, like a kettle? That's weird. He does pour a, some sort of whiskey in there beforehand. He wow. never drinks it. Doesn't he? No, pause it and then leaves. Ooh, you bastard. Eagle Eye Where's Hendo, look out. Are we going to get some uh, hot uh, takes, hot analytics today, Hendo? Well, I just told you about the coffee. There's one hot take. Mm, I'll say lukewarm, like the coffee. Can you dip your nose in it, Hendo? That's what I want to know. Is that how you measure coffee strength? That's how you measure coffee heat. You should not be able to dip your nose in it. <laughs> but every other part's fine. Say, <laughs> so curb your enthusiasm reference there for anyone who missed oh, okay. it. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. <laughs> No, but we do get tough guy Tony going to the club, confronting Marbo. Gee, he seems so intimidating when he just Mardo, ste- <laughs> when he's just standing at the table, not saying a word. I was like, ah, uh, this guy is full on staunch showing here. It's no good. No, he does do a pretty bad thing here. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, this is unforgivable. I I could not believe what I was watching when he starts getting her to take off the jewelry. I was like, okay, is he just gonna ta- like rob her? Then he's like, take off the coat. And I was like, well, it looks to be a mink coat. It's probably very expensive, probably worth something. Fair enough. And then when he's like, keep going, I was like, oh, shit, what's happening here? And then you get like the really, like, I know it's off camera, 
But it's pretty violent. It's the sounds. You don't need you don't need to see it. You just hear it and your imagination goes ridiculous. And yeah, I, I basically was like, well, I'm not going to be liking this guy anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, I was literally like, okay, well, I guess he's not our protagonist now because surely I you get- can't have the guy, the main character who you want the audience to side with be a like woman basher. But then I was like, this was made in the 50s and France, no offense. Like mm-hmm. maybe this is just not a big deal back then. Does it coincide with the fact that the... Pierre and his brothers are they are they worse because he's a gigolo he kidnaps a kid he you know feeds his brother drugs I think Pierre is it more like is not you know? a bad guy Oh really what what gave you the idea he was a you know top a top bloke Well top bloke is a stretch but if you look at when you know Tony eventually goes back to the club to the next night to confront Pierre and just say I'm not going to run from this I've done what I've done I'm going to go and see him he's just like listen you were with her now I'm with her you stay out of my way, I'll stay out of yours. He's actually very fair to this tosser who's clearly trying to pick a fight with him. I When I saw that scene, I was like, okay, I'm siding with Pierre now because that is a very decent response to this dickhead who beats women for no reason. I don't think there's any good people in this film. I feel like this is just a story of you know criminals against criminals, bad guy against bad guy, and in the end, everyone gets their comeuppance. You don't think Tony is a good, a good guy? No, I don't. He he's has just some- a, He's know, just a kid, Hendo. Oh, I thought you meant Tony. <laughs> <laughs> what did he ever do? Tony Antonio. No, I don't think he's a good guy. <laughs> no, you little shit. You see the way he was acting in the car later on? Yeah. <laughs> Sit down Pretty and shut mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tony might have lasted longer in the car if he didn't have to turn around and deal with your shit. Yeah, maybe if he lasted longer, Mato wouldn't have left him, eh? Yeah, all right. <laughs> But no, this fresh beating that he gives Mardo has uh, reinvigorated his love of heisting, apparently. Yeah, put a pep in his step, apparently. Oh, he's up and about now. Look out, world. You know, he wants in on the job, and this is where they go to see Mario, and he, All right, he's now, having a bath. Yeah, you say there's no good guys in this film. I would argue that Ida is is definitely a good guy here. What a <laughs> top chick, honestly. Just just giving her, man, just a, giving thorough, him a, bath. a thorough good washing. Mate, I've never had anything like this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, me neither. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, don't tell me you have. <laughs> yeah, no, she's uh, she's some woman. No, but Tony uh, breaks it down here. He's not going to go for some stupid smash the window and grab the diamonds out the front. We're going to we're going to do the full whack here. Yeah, he wants the big prize, the safe. Yeah. If they're going to do it, they're going to go big, go hard or go home. I like. Uh, I did like. Uh, who was it? Mario calling Caesar. It's just like, can you come? Great, I'll be at the airport. Hang hangs up. It's like. <laughs> what? Hang on. I was like, Why don't we did that some times, perhaps? I did not even agree on a day, let alone a time. It's just, he was just like, all right, I'm leaving now for the airport. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do you live at the airport? Are you always there? That's what you got to do on these these uh, shoestring budgets for these movies. Just pick up the phone and go, you're in? Cool. All right, bye. Yep. I did make note of when he mentions that Caesar, he's never met a woman he can't resist. I'm like, surely this is going to place, you know, some sort of factor later on in the film. And, you know, they do have a couple of red herrings along the way here. But, you know, that's uh, part of the reason why this whole thing goes to shit. It, I mean, it's the whole reason, Probably isn't it? It is, it is the reason, yeah. yeah. I started making some detailed notes about uh, Teddy, the guy who's going to fence the goods, and he really doesn't come into it too much at all. <laughs> well, that was a waste of time. <laughs> I'm like, oh, is he the fifth person? But not. <laughs> no. I do like it, though, how... He doesn't even end up with money in this. He actually loses money on this. I like that no one gets paid for this. Like the whole the whole thing here is crime doesn't pay. That's that's the theme of this movie. That's what you come. That's the moral of the story. So why is Teddy fencing it then? He thought he was going to get a good deal out of this, but it turns out that they had to be recut when he got there. When he got the the diamonds, it had to be recut, which means he lost money on it. Okay. He does mention that when he you know drops off the money. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I do I do remember him saying that he's going to lose money. I just didn't really figure why he accepted this job then. I'm assuming it was because he didn't know that was going to happen. Now, this is good when they're walking down the street, memorizing the shop names and you know what time they open and, and all the details about the shops so they can figure out when's the best time to do this. Yeah, this was pretty good, the preparing for the heist. I like that they make a key. The way they did that was good. How did they do that? The way they did that was good. all I was got good. was powdering, <laughs> they're powdering the, the keyhole. Like what did, what did, how did they do that? I honestly have no idea because I thought yeah. the same thing. I'm like... Uh, they sort of yeah, they sort of had powder, and then boom, there's a key. I was like, ooh, it's like hey. he pushes a did he did he push a sponge into it and it created a shape? I don't know. It just looked like it had an out the outline of the end of the key. Yeah, but what? How would he have got that? 
Like, what did he put in to get that? No, not even like the the full outline of the shape of the key. Just the 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 actual end of the key. Like the 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 shape on the middle of the key wouldn't have come up. Yeah, it was whole, it was bizarre. It's like, yep, pat that down and boom, key. It's like, okay, I'm going to move on from this because this seems a little dodgy. Yep, they're testing their their drive times, which doesn't really play much into it. But then we get Caesar actually going into this jewelry store here now. Oh, I, I thought, what I thought, did you notice how he leaves money on the bench here? Yeah. He leaves a massive amount of money on the bench. And I'm just like, oh, okay, where's this going? Never comes back. They're just very trusting. I just always assumed it was because, well, I'm just I'm going to get more money out of this anyway. Or I'll probably just get this money when I come back in next time mm. through the roof. Yeah, but he does well. I mean, all, the, all this stuff's pretty good here where he's, you know, he sees what sort of alarm it is and then they cut to carrying the identical box into their little little room. I wonder where they were actually preparing for this because these people would make terrible neighbours. Whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on, hang on. You've just gone way ahead here. Just just slow down, okay? What do you, what do you mean? Are you well, saying I missed something? You missed a lot here. Let's, let's back it up, all right? This is uh, where we first get introduced to Pierre. How he's uh, smacking around his dope fiend brother. I believe his name is Remy. Uh, Remy. I wrote Remy for Remy Malik. Why? Did he remind you of Remy Malik? Uh, I don't know any Remy's. Except for the Ratatouille guy. I think that was a Remy. Well, this does have rats in it. It doesn't have any Remy Maliks in it. God, what is it with you and rats in this film? What is it with you and Remy Malik? <laughs> I've never mentioned him before. <laughs> I tell you, at this point, I, I started to get... Some strong Ocean's Eleven vibes. When he's when he's slapping his brother around. No, I felt like he got this crew who were trying to pull this heist, but I felt like, I didn't know how this was going to go at this point, but I felt like he got Tony, who is going to maybe take, you know, a sidestep away to bring back in Mardo, aka Julia Roberts, from Pierre, aka Andy Garcia. Yeah, right. Do you think uh, after beating her, that was his, his end game here to get her back? He was still talking about Mardo at this point and how Pierre, you know, shouldn't be with her and yada yada. And then they cut to Pierre, who's the head honcho at this place. Which is ridiculous. It's not like they were even married. Like, what is with this guy? Who, Tony? Yes. Yeah, he's not a good guy. Let her go. I mean, how did, how did you skip past the Rafifi song? I mean, I tried to wipe it from my memory. I, I wrote down... I mean, you, ba- you based God, the meaning I- of Rafifi <laughs> of the song. <laughs> God, I hope this is the last song we hear in this film. I mean, it was... It was so long. It was so now, painful. I, I want you to rank these three songs from films that we've done prior. Okay. This Rafifi song. Yep. Uh, one of the many Marilyn Monroe boop de doop songs from Some Like It Hot or the uh, Broadway melody from Singing in the Rain. Ooh. Okay. I will say boop de doop is number one. Number two, Rafifi. Number three, yes. Broadway melody. Because that thing is it's always like Broadway melody. Long. <laughs> and it makes it's got nothing to do with the movie. Yeah, that's a shocker. I must say, I did like the the silhouette of the the guy shooting the gun and then using the gun to light the cigarette because it was so hot. I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, it was fine. I mean, this. I mean, yeah, this whole scene is this really just to get the word Rafifi into this movie? I mean, the song, yeah, I'd imagine so. But there is some stuff in this scene because you got the the face off between Tony and the the Groot. Is their last name Gruta? The Gruta brothers. Something Pretty sure like it's Pierre, Remy, and Louis. There's a Louis. Yeah, Louis's the third one. God, I didn't know there was a third one. Louis is the the one who Tony beats with his gun at the house before he shoots Remy. Oh, okay. Yeah, Grutter or Gruta? It's German, apparently. So it's a Gruta. Hmm. Yeah, we also find out that Mardo's taken off on a trip. No one's really, she hasn't really told anyone where she's going. She's just off. She's done. Yeah. Getting away from it all. Well, she doesn't want Good Pierre on to see the, the bruises. That's true. But that being said, when she does get back, she just leaves him. Anyway. Yeah. Does she just come back for her things? I think she does because she comes back and says, oh, don't tell anyone I'm here. And then the guy, I think it is Louis, goes and tells him that um, she's there. So I think she was just coming back for her things. I mean, why is she telling Pierre's brother not to tell him that she's there? Of course he's going to tell him. Yeah, I guess. That's dumb. I was mentioning about how you got Tune Dog Caesar. This is where he, you know, he pulls one of the dancers. He actually, the actually, the eventual dancer who would rat him out with the again. She ring, doesn't is it? rat him out. She just shows her pimp this ring that she got given. So everyone's ratting everyone out in this film. Okay, you're ratting everyone out. They're fine. <laughs> oh, good comeback. Your face is ratting everyone out. <laughs> Walked into that one. <laughs> <laughs> and even when Caesar is at the. The jewelry store casing the place. He even eyeballs off another woman there. Like he's about to go and speak to her. He's like, no, 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 got to stay focused. Keep going with this and, you know, watch what I'm doing. Yeah. All right. 
And this is where you started to mention about the alarm system. Yes. This was a good scene. Trying to figure out how to bypass the alarm. If they cut the wires, it goes off. Cut the power, it goes off. There's a box there, it goes off. Just everything goes off. And then he he picks something up. (laughs) I don't remember what it was, but I remember he picked something up like, will this work? No. And then he goes to the extinguisher. Ah, what does he grab? Grab something stupid, like something like a a blunt object. Like, hmm, nope, let's go the foam. Yeah, I can't remember what it was, but the, uh, the, the fire extinguisher foam is a good idea. Just You've got to be, you've gotta be fortunate to get the one with the foam and not just with the water. Have you ever used a fire extinguisher? I'm happy to say I've not had the need to use one. I have. For an actual emergency? Yeah, for like a fire. Like a test? No, 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 for real. Wow. Because the ones they do in the test, I think, are just the like digital ones that I, I got tested on. Uh, I got a, an emergency call to the uh, deli department, which is very rare. So I, I jog over and I get jog? the- I get the- it's ambitious. I get the, Dean, there's a fire. I'm like, what? What, <laughs> what do you mean there's a fire? There's a fire. <laughs> and fair enough, <laughs> in the chicken oven, there was a fire inside. So I did what any- well, Like a big fire or like a little, you know, light flame at the bottom? I mean, it wasn't a flame. It was, it was, there was uh, behind the back of the chicken oven, the element mm-hmm. had caught on fire. And because there was a fair bit of chicken fat built up behind there, I think it had get that clean, man. <laughs> it had gone up. So yeah, I pulled the, I pulled the extinguisher off the wall and I, I, you know, I used my PASS, pull the pin, aim, squeeze the trigger and sweep side to side. All that training paid off. And the fire went out. And then we called the oven people and they berated me for using an extinguisher on it. <laughs> what? They're just like, oh, in future, just close the door. <laughs> It'll go out. And I'm like, mm, no, there's a fire. I'm going to spray it. Because the amount of mess this extinguisher caused in this oven was substantial. Well, I'm glad you're okay. I was. I mean, it was very exciting. Were you touted as a hero? No more than usual, Hendo. <laughs> Name in the paper, roses, chocolates, all that good stuff. <laughs> uh. All right, before before we get to the you know the the key feature of this film, we got to get some uh, more singing and dancing quickly as Caesar gives his little farewell to his woman. That was much needed. Mm. You don't ever remember. I do have you? absolutely no <laughs> recollection of this scene. <laughs> oh, I must say, I, di- I didn't realize that when they're figuring out this alarm and what to do with it. Like this. This is 1955. I mean, obviously, there's no such things as security cameras and all that stuff yet. So the alarm system is purely based on, on the sound, sound of the alarm. Yeah, it doesn't go. So there's to not even like a signal. Else. Yeah, like an you know the electric signal through the phone line or anything like. This is all just on the sound. Yeah. Okay. Sound plays a key part in this next scene coming up. How much would it cover it if you just like because they take a mattress? Well, I know they take like a big blanket to this uh, place. What what if you just put this big old you know, buffy blanket onto the alarm. Would that drown out the sound? Yeah, I actually watched a few of the deleted scenes and one of the things they tried was putting a big buffy blanket over it and unfortunately it didn't work there, Hendo. I don't believe you at all. I think there was a, a millisecond where you did believe me. <laughs> no, you lost me when you said I watched the... No, you didn't watch anything extra. You barely watched the film. <laughs> All right, Dean, it's heist time. And it's time for my... Excellent! I mean, if we're including the entire 32-minute heist, then, yeah, let's do it. Excellent! Easily the longest excellent we uh, have ever done, (laughs) and will likely ever do, but this is definitely, I would say this is one sequence here, so, yeah, Yeah. it's, it's one excellent, and I think never has there been a more obvious excellent. Yeah, because everything around this, like, they're there, this is the... So, like the highest peak of this film, um, like the the rest of this, we're, like we're just waiting. Let's let's just get to the heist, okay? We know you're going to heist something. Let's just get to it. But I didn't know how or why this was touted as such a great heist scene. And the fact that you get no talking, no music, it's all silence, and it works wonderfully because they don't know they 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 cannot make any noise. They can make as little noise as possible. And for us to not have any background noise, any music, anything like that going, we're in that with them. We don't want to hear any noise at this time. Like we are so like engaged in what they're doing and every little sound they make we're like Ugh! like Yeah, very very mission impossible one. Yes indeed. Yes indeed. Even they even come up with little bits and pieces like that could start this alarm. Like when you get Tony who who gets down into the actual uh bottom floor 
and he's trying to just before he does the the fire extinguisher into the fire into the fire alarm or the alarm system whatever it is and like he's he's moving certain things to get his balance or whatever and even those little those little sounds I'm like oh oh shit and I love how they bring back his coughing like they at the start of the film they reference you know you know, you've been smoking, like when he's in the poker room, you're in this dang, like this bad environment, you've been smoking, and he's just coughing up a lung. And when he's down there and he starts coughing, you're like, oh shit, it's, it's paying off a little bit there. I like that, where they're bringing those things back from the start of the film. Yeah. I mean, what do you say? I I like it. It's tense. I think the whole, from start to finish, I like that it's slow paced as well. Like it doesn't need to be, you know, frenetic. It's more realistic where you see you know, them slowly just chipping away at this ceiling for hours. And even the... I like that they went overtime as well, where, you know, they're Mm. trying to open the safe and it's like six o'clock in the morning already and they're like, oh, shit. Uh, I love how they keep relaying back to the clock that they've got shown there and how it overlaps as well what they're doing. Really just shows you how long this is taking and, you know, how much of a complicated process this is. I love how they use the umbrella. When they mm. put it under, when they put it through the hole to catch all the debris. That was good. Yeah, the debris catching was good. Uh, were you nervous you, there's, when, there's... when Joe got underneath the safe oh, with the bits of wood? I was just thinking wood? Breaking Bad. I'm all thinking Breaking Bad. I was like, what are they doing? Why does this like, guy need... It. Like, you can hold the wood from the other side. <laughs> but because they go over time, the, the wandering policemen walk past and see the car. Lucky for Tony to see their bike on the corner before he you know walks down the, the That hall- bit was bit. really good. I like that. I'm not sure I believed that he would be able to just bop the one cop so quickly yeah. away whilst the other cop who's what 6 meters away just does not show any reaction at all we don't see we don't see anything from him on the phone so i thought They're that so was quick a bit to get in unbe- the car. yeah a bit unbelievable and like wouldn't you hear the car turning on and driving away but there's no mm-hmm. there's no reaction shots from the the other cop here I mean, once the car goes, doesn't he get in contact with the cop and say, "Hey, look for this car with this license plate"? That never comes to fruition. I mean, how long? How long is it before they ditch all the stuff in the water? I mean, they are driving from the whole time, aren't they? Like he picks them up. I'm, and then they... I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's just one of them that's there. I think the other three get dropped off. Yeah. So he drops them off, and then he drives drives a fair way away and gets rid of it. But I mean, even getting rid of it, you know, it's not like he even pushes it in this river. He just leaves it on the end of a jetty. Yeah. Why not? Like, haven't you ever heard the expression, like, if you want to hide a book, put it in a library? Like, put it somewhere where a car does not stand out, you know? don't. A car lot. Yeah. Don't just leave it on the end of a jetty. It's like, <laughs> uh, does anyone know why there's a car there? No. Let's check it out. I must say, I was very let down by their haul. Uh, I found it funny that they all sit around this table with this bag, and they're all waiting in anticipation what's in it. I'm like, wouldn't you have looked at that before when you grabbed it out of the safe? Yeah. So you just grab this bag and go, all right, now let's look at it after we've escaped and we've done all of our stuff. I was a little bit like, are they going to open this up and there be nothing in there? Or like, and they're like, this is a huge safe. Is that really all that was in there? Yeah, exactly. I thought that would have been like, you know how you, you see them run out like a big, a massive, massive bag yeah. that's super heavy. With the dollar signs on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, Disappointed. like, yeah, they drill this hole into the back of the safe, but the hole. Like, that would not give them access to every shelf in that safe. Like, there would be shelves there that would be blocking them. I just sort of thought, that wouldn't be... Like, that hole, fine, it's a hole there, but I don't think it's that easy that once they've got that hole there, they can just access everything in the safe. Maybe that's why they only grab one bag. What, they just got lucky? Maybe they knew it was in there. Maybe they... Mm. Maybe. Did Caesar see that when they opened the safe or anything in there? I don't think so. Yeah, me neither. Actually, those jewels that were stolen were genuine ones. They were loaned by juror Jean Dissasoy, and they were on the condition that they would be protected by the police. Nice. Yeah, I mean, they're certainly worth a lot, according to this film. $240 million. I guess that's francs. I'm not sure about the conversion yes. rate. So, I did do my own conversion on this, and then so happened to see it on the trivia, so I was like, well, that was a waste of my time. 240 million francs was about $600,000 in 1950, which is about 6.8 million now. So a good amount. Now, I mean, you can't have a French film with a bit of nip action here, can you? I mean, it's barely nip action. Still, I, I didn't know what rating this was. I'm like, this is a G rated. No, it's not a G rated film. All right, let's just leave it at that. Yeah. I mean, I think I think you would know it's not G rated after the beating he gives Mato. That's true. But no, if there's nips, that, that sets you off a little better up this grading. <laughs> Can't classify this as family film anymore. There's a see-through nip. Well, didn't hurt the rating. 
So they have a bit of a chat about what they're going to do with their with their section of the money and, you know, Tony has no idea what he's going to do, but they put the stash in the lamp and it was at this point I was thinking, all right, who's going to be the first person to steal it? Who's going to betray the other one? This is where I thought the film was going to go. I'm like, right, the heist is done. The thing that everyone talks about with this film is done. Mm. What's up next? I feel like it's going to be these four are going to start to turn on each other. And they did because of the rats. Am I right, Hendo? Yes, it's all about rats. No, it really does become a you know good guys versus bad guys film now, doesn't it? You got Pierre trying to get the 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 diamonds and then the money and well, it doesn't start off like that. If it starts off with Pierre just wanting to flat out take out Tony because of what happens with him and Mado, hmm. and it's only because Caesar's woman, I think her name is Vivian. Her name is. It's only because of her uh, and Caesar's, you know, womanizing that they get. Pierre involved here who finds a good reason to kill them all. I mean, that's not his his ultimate goal here. He doesn't set out to just kill them all. I mean, he kind of does. I mean, he just wants some money. I love how- and he's going to leave I'll, witnesses. I love he's going to leave of, witnesses. I love how one of his brothers like, yeah, now we know we can get that $10 million from the cops. And Pierre's just like, uh, no, I want the $240 million. <laughs> It sounds so far-fetched when the, the inspector comes in and he goes, yeah, I'll pay you $10 million for information. I'm like, what? I had to look that up. Uh, apparently, it was about $25,000 back then. So, that makes a bit more sense. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't expect Mario to get his throat slit in this film. Even the sound of it is a bit jarring. Yeah, that was that was surprising. Uh, and I didn't even realize that Ida got killed immediately after either until we saw the body. Well, even the body, she's still breathing. So, I actually had to go back and oh, see, was she? did they actually kill her? Yeah, yeah, like you see, you see her, like she's she's fallen down behind Mario, who's sitting there, and you can see and her you can chest see her breathing, heaving. yeah, okay. yeah. And when you see Tony come in and survey the situation and basically like run out of there after he grabs the the diamonds, that's when I was like, okay, so she did get killed as well, despite her breathing. Further showing my point that they don't want to leave any witnesses, so they're out there to take these take these diamonds and kill everyone who's there. I mean, I think once you kill one, you got to kill them all. Which is interesting because they take Caesar, they don't kill him. They leave him at their place tied up. Flies in the face of your theory. Hmm. Nah, I feel like because Mario's not going to talk, they're like, right, kill him. We leave Caesar open because he can give us more information. Because he's a rat. Because he's a dirty rat. Yeah. Yep. Tony catches up with Mardo here. I did make a note of the, the phrase she said to him where uh, you'll all get your comeuppance. Because that definitely uh, ends up happening. More foreshadowing. Hey, Hendo. Yes. Now Tony finds Caesar here. And per the rules, Tony kills him. Yeah, Tony, really not a good guy. Uh, you don't, you don't do that. No good. They're not in the mafia, are they? <laughs> Mario seems like one of his best friends here. It seizes this guy he's just met, and per his actions of ratting him out, he gets him killed. So what is Tony? What's, what's Tony going to let him live? Ah, oh, you're, you're all right, mate. I mean, he's in jail for being a thief. We have no idea he's a killer, and now he's killing. Like his friend or Is it his friend? Okay, acquaintance. Eh, I don't think it's as bad as you think to the, what he's gone through at the moment. Jesus, remind me not to get on your bad side. You're my friend though. Oh. Hey, hey, if you had someone who was your you know, acquaintance or whatever brought in and per his actions, he got you killed, you know. You would do nothing. Could, could, be, a, <laughs> could be a possibility. I would I, give him a stern talking to. I bet you would. One he would not soon forget. <laughs> Actually, the death of Caesar wasn't actually in the original story. DeSena said he added the scene in direct reference to the American blacklist situation. Mm, fascinating, Hendo. Basically saying, you know, the, the terrible cost of the betrayal of friends and colleagues. No, I, I got it. <laughs> no, I don't think you did. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get to Joe's kid is taken hostage. Oh, you don't want to pay your respects to Mario for his funeral that no, no. one can attend? No. No? Bugger him? No. Yeah, at this point, I was thinking, how did they know who Joe was? How could they have taken his kid and wife? And I then I then realized that they know Tony took the, the diamonds and Joe's a good friend of Tony's and they've seen Tony and Joe together. So it, that all makes sense. Are we at what do you Finn? got to say, Dean? Are we at Finn yet? <laughs> wow. Uh, I was just thinking, who the fuck's Finn? <laughs> okay, what have we got? Ah, this this movie ending is so, so boring. Uh, okay. It's really dropped, hasn't it? <laughs> oh, has it ever. Uh, okay, so what do we got? The fence comes. We've got $120 million. Tony's basically telling Joe that you cannot give him the money because he's going to kill your kid anyway, right? These are, these are thugs. They, they don't want witnesses. Everyone's going to die. So don't give him the money. Give me time. I will go out there and I will kill them. 
I will find them and I will kill them. Yeah, and he goes to Mardo for help, of all people. Well, she gives him help, doesn't she? Well, she does. No one else gives him anything. She leads him to where where Joe's kid is. She leads him to Remy's drug dealer, who then goes to Remy and they follow him. Yeah. Yeah. And turns out the brothers are not that threatening at all. Nah, kind of shit. A couple of bashes to the head and drugged up shot. Done. I did like when he he made like Remy wake up so he could experience it. I was like, yeah, nice. Yeah. Tough guy. But you got Joe's wife, Louise, here chastising him for, you know, growing up as one of these tough guys. You know, everyone, you know, he would have been in the poor environment and all these other poor people didn't turn into thugs. So what'd you say? They're the tough guys, not you. Like, ooh, nice <laughs> turnaround. Doesn't really change anything. No. What do you think of Joe's decision here to, you know, give in? And uh, taking the money. I mean, you can understand it when he's just like, oh, he'll be here soon. And the guy's just like, well, if I have to call again, basically, then I'll kill him. It would be very hard in all seriousness not to just bend to the will. Yeah. I mean, Tony doesn't really have a leg to stand on here to tell him to st- you know, stay put. It's not his kid. Mm. Although he does seem to have a lot of affection for the kid. Like Even when uh, Joe's over in London, he's telling him, hey, get one of those, you know, clown boppy things and you know it's from me to for your kid mm. he seems to have a nice affection with him he's his, he's his godfather he's a godfather yeah that was terrible <laughs> yours wasn't any better i mean I, I, I wasn't even trying to do it but i realized oh. it, did, it did come across you know i wasn't even trying no. <laughs> Look at you. oh god our godfather breakdown is going to be so much <sighs> hey call me godfather <laughs> That's all we're going to say. <laughs> My name's Daniel Henderson, and they call me Godfather. And My name's Daniel Henderson, and they call me Godfather. <laughs> and I'm the Godfather. <laughs> On the day of my daughter's wedding. Ah, <laughs> uh, how good is good films? Uh, all right, so what have we got here? More people get shot. You know, Tony arrives. Pierre yeah, poor sh- Joe. Yeah. He walks into it. If he just waited a couple more minutes. So close, Joe. So close. Yes. And what's the, what's the go with Tony here? He's just he's just out in the open while you got Pierre in, you know, some abandoned building. It looks like a buddy Call of Duty gunfight and it does, gets actually. Shot in the, yeah. <laughs> gets shot in the chest. Yeah, bounces back pretty quickly though, doesn't he? Enough to to take out Pierre here. Neither of them are aware of their surroundings. Like even Pierre, he just comes out in the open. Yeah. Like he knows I, where he knows where he shot Tony. Why not go to around that area? I wasn't a fan of the huge reactions everyone shows when they get shot in this film. It's like the the full three sixty spin, like ah, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the strain well, on the face, like <gasps> my only weakness. <laughs> so, what do you think of this ending? Oh, it's what the fuck is going on in this car? Did you ever think there was any fear for the kid? Did you think that Pierre was going to die while driving and you know crash the car? Not really. Uh, I thought the kid was really creepy, though. There's like this real creepy shot of him laughing at one point. I was like, what the fuck is this movie doing? The sequence goes on for his a misery. while. Yeah, it does go for too long. Uh, just pull over. Like, what's what's the what's the issue here with just pulling over? Like, die already. The kid <laughs> can walk home. What are you afraid is going to happen to the kid? He wants to get the kid back. It's like his his last thing, his last mission. Nah, no good. Anyway, he dies, yeah. and what that's the end. You? Finn. Finn. Moral of the story: Crime doesn't pay. All right, I'll I'll give my final thoughts, Hendo. Wait, 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 wait. Any last words? All right, don't be buttoned in here. This movie's just the biggest issue with this film. I thought you were going to say this movie sucks. Is that it climaxes halfway through the film. Like everything. Well, that's why you would like it. Everything after the heist is so boring. Pierre is a terrible antagonist, but not as bad as Tony is as a protagonist. I cannot get around seeing him beat Mardo, have no remorse, and then seeing her go back to him and do nice things for him. This movie just feels so dated now. Thankfully, the heist is actually worth watching. And it's, as like everyone ever has said, all the heist movies that we know today borrow so much from this film. But it's a tough watch. It's just so boring towards the end. I'm giving it two stars. All right. This movie starts off quite well. For me, introduced to the main characters here, and they all have their, you know, their traits and a little bit of their backstory that we can relate to. They, you can see their friendships and, and the plan to get this going. This heist really works well. Like the setup, 
their their research, their investigation, their trials and tribulations, especially the scene where they're trying to work out how to disarm Salam is very intricate and well thought out. The side story with Tony and Mardo Pierre, I mean, yeah, it, it's rough to watch. It's not the best. The heist is, yes, the heist is so good. Easily the highlight of this film. Like, there's no comparison. And I completely agree with you. After that happens, it goes on for so long. Like, I don't even care now. They've got the money. And this story about what happens afterwards is just so lackluster. I, I, I didn't care about what happened after that. It took forever for anything to happen. And when it did happen, I really didn't give a shit. It's such a letdown that the first half of this film, well, first what, two-thirds, I don't know what it is, is really good. And it's so let down by this final act. Two and a half for me. My third non-recommend that we've done. Your third non-recommend? Yeah. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where is Rafifi going to sit on your rankings? I'm guessing in the lower portion. All right, let's start right at the bottom at my number 69th film, The Seventh Seal. And this is better than The Seventh Seal. Then we go to Ben-Hur, and this is better than Ben-Hur. Now up against Singing in the Rain. Uh, Yeah, I think it is better than Singing in the Rain. I think I'd rather watch this again than Singing in the Rain. Uh, I think then you're it, in a bad mood when you watch Singing in the Rain. I don't think so. And if I was, then it's Singing in the Rain's fault. Then next up, we have Yojimbo at 66. And I think that's where it'll stop. Uh, Yojimbo is a better film than this. So I'm going to put Rafifi at my new number 67. All right. Considering this is my only two and a half star film I've given, this is going to go directly into the number 68th spot for me. Above Hachi, but below A Beautiful Mind. Very good. All right, we want to take this opportunity and thank our awesome patrons for help for basically sponsoring the show for us. Patrons are they are amazing, aren't they, Dean? Yes, they are fantastic. They're the reason we're still here after all these many, many months. How many years have we been doing this? Years. How many years have we been two doing this? Two and a half. This? Two and a half. About two okay. and a half. Yeah. Okay. Well, many, many years probably isn't accurate, but many, many months at least is. Yes, we do do a bonus episode every week over on our Patreon for our awesome patrons, and we are just about to finish off our David Fincher series. We've gone through all the non-Top 250 films of Mr. Fincher, and we are coming up to the one Top 250 film that we're breaking down for the patrons that they have selected for us. And what do they go with, Dean? They went with not Gone Girl, not Fight Club, but the sophomore effort of Seven. Seven. This is going to be a very interesting breakdown. I think uh, I think our opinions of the film have gone out there a little bit, but... Uh, uh, you won't be getting a uh, a Rafifi review from that, I'll tell you. No, definitely not. Should be a lot of fun. Hey, Hendo. I mean, is this where I go, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> no, after the breakdown of seven, we are coming into the month of October, obviously, which is Halloween, the horror month. So we are going to go with uh, a horror film series that we are going to break down. And which one do we go with, Dean? We went with Scream, Hendo. Scream, a nice little tight four film series. Works perfect for the whole month. I believe you've only seen the first one. Is that right, Dean? That's correct. Yes, and I've seen all four, so it'll be interesting to get your hot takes there. Yeah, so if you want to become a patron and join in all the fun, head on over to patreon.com slash themoviejourney. Yes, that's right. So with that being said, let's get into... We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Oh. And looking over on our Patreon for our awesome patrons' reviews of this film, Chris Beetzel says, The high scene in this film is so good, I would have been fine if the film was just 90 minutes of that. Unfortunately, it isn't. And the rest of the film around the heist is just fine, but not great. I did like the bold choice of making the protagonist a really unlikable character. Tony Lestefanoi is no Danny Ocean, that's for sure. Three stars. And our last one here from David Powell. One of the big three all-time heist films for me, along with Asphalt Jungle and The Killing, this created and is still unsurpassed in this genre. And the actual heist scene? Wow. Half an hour with zero score or dialogue, and it's perfection. Now, thank you guys for putting in a review, but of course we've got... Now, surely he can't go lower or steep further than he's in the mood for love review from last week. Can he, Dean? I don't think that's possible, but let's get into it. Uh, Black and white foreign movies from the 50s aren't really my thing. And there won't be any exceptions as far as Rafifi is concerned. It's a crime caper. (laughs) It's a crime caper, which I suppose counts in its favour. This would predate a lot of well-known staples in the genre, but then I'm no expert on 30s, 40s and 50s bank heist movies. I can say that Rafifi's pacing is pretty good, and I wasn't overly bored with the movie. There were other issues I had, though. Whilst I understood things generally, 
I still found it hard to follow. I actually think the fact that it's foreign counted against it more than usual with this movie. Throw some 50s Hollywood stars into this with almost the same script and you could have a pretty decent movie. I found it hard to uh, relate. I, I, I just disagree with that. I don't think it was hard to, hard to follow because it was foreign. Like I think the film was pretty easy to understand along the way. I mean, let's look at Shane's history here. He found Rafifi hard to follow, found In the Mood for Love hard to follow, found Hamilton hard to follow. I just don't think he's, he's really paying much attention when he watches these films. I mean, he did talk about the general, how he went and vacuumed for the majority of the film and then said, I couldn't understand what was going on. (laughs) All right, getting back to Shane's review. I found it hard to relate to many of the characters who just weren't given enough background for me to care about. The main guy, Tony, captures your attention early when he just randomly bashes a woman as part of his code. Like, when that scene happened, I thought, wow, here's the villain of the movie, great. But, uh, okay, no, that's the hero. Hmm. Strangely enough, when the characters aren't talking and they're involved in some suspense or action, the film really comes alive. So there are good parts to it. Generally speaking, though, I feel this is more a backdrop that decades upon decades of cinema has built upon. And unfortunately, Rafifi is left behind in the dust. Two stars. All right. Kind of what I expected. Thank you very much, Shane, for that one. Hopefully we can do better next week. Kind of accurate as well. All right, mate, it's time for... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Where for this week we asked you, what is your favourite heist film? Now let's take a look at our Facebook listener community group and our patrons to see what they've chosen. All right, first one here from Talon Crichton, Inception or Baby Driver? Two different leagues, but if it's in regards to heist movies, these two would be at the top. Talon, you're cheating. You're picking two. It's naughty, naughty. Heifer has gone with Heat. Harrison Johnson says Ocean's Eleven. Now, he's put the Eleven as the number Eleven. Is he referring to the old, you know, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. Rat Pack movie? No. You sure? Yes. (laughs) Have you seen that movie? (laughs) I have. Yeah, it doesn't hold a candle. No one is referring no. to that. Awesome patron Julio at the Contrarians podcast says, technically, the bling ring. Have you seen the bling ring, Dean? Nah, I saw him post that gif. I was like, I have no idea what that movie is. But do you know what the bling ring is? No. All right. Something to think about when I give you another film next time. David Powell says, either the sting or the killing. Closely followed by Asphalt Jungle and Rafifi. Pick one, David. <laughs> <laughs> All right, over on our Patreon for our awesome, awesome patrons. Chris Beardsell says, Ocean's Eleven. Chris at the Rough House Podcast says, I do adore Baby Driver, but the cast assembled for Ocean's Eleven and the fun the film was can't be beat. Not even by Logan Lucky. You had to get a Logan Lucky throw in there, didn't you? Uh, Brother Shane says, based on criteria alone, the score. Gerald from Two Peas in the Podcast says, referring to my nifty list, from when Hendo and I tackled this very topic, my phase were Point Break, the original, the 91 version. Thanks for clarifying. Well, he did ha- He did want to clarify. You might be confused by the remake. Raising Arizona and Hell and High Water. Yes, I did do our top five heist films with Gerald over on Two Peas in the Podcast, so that is basically where my list is coming from. Lastly here from Jay, Ocean's Eleven is the most rewatchable due to the amazing casting and chemistry. Now, we did put a poll out to find out what the general consensus would be to favourite heist film. Coming in equal fourth and fifth, we have Baby Driver and The Town. Before I go any further, what do you think that the, the, the winner is here, Dean? Uh, Ocean's Eleven, I'll say. All right. Coming in third with 11% of the vote is Ocean's Eleven. Coming in second with 14% of the vote compared to 21%, we have Heat at number two. And our winner is Inception. Very good. All right, enough of that, Dean. Let's find out what our top five heist films is. And as usual, we kick it off with you. What is your number five? Uh, I've gone Ghost Protocol. Ooh, I was wondering how many Mission Impossible films you're going to put in your top five. I mean, obviously, I'm only going to put one. And I think the, the heist from Ghost Protocol is very memorable. All right, my number five is the one that's been mentioned a lot so far already, Ocean's Eleven. Uh, my number four is Ocean's Eleven. Very good. My number four is Reservoir Dogs. My number three is The Usual Suspects. Very good. My number three, I don't know if you put it in there or not, is Die Hard. Fair enough. Uh, I have not. Uh, My number two is Inception. Alrighty then. My number two, you've already mentioned it, it's The Usual Suspects. And my number one is Heat. Ooh, interesting choice. My number one is Inception. Fair enough. Now, if Talon did 
you know, man up and pick one instead of two. He might have had a chance to win some sweet, sweet merch here, but he's out of the running since he picked two. So a winner with a choice of heat is Heifer. <laughs> uh, good on you, Heifer. Yep, I think this is Heifer's first win. Probably won't be his last. Now that he's got the ball rolling, he'll he'll start. He'll continue on. He'll uh, get multiple, multiple wins coming up. Maybe he'll follow in Hayden's footsteps and start piling oh, that he'll, sweet, he'll take sweet over. merch. Yeah, they'll, they'll be pulling their sweet, sweet merch together. They'll be playing them like uh, Pokemon trading cards. Uh, well done, Heifer. We'll get in contact with you and send you out some sweet, sweet, sweet merch. There's this tournament. Let the tournament begin! I think it's time to find out the grand final results of our Tournament of Champions. I'm pretty sure this tournament has been going on for over a year now. We started off with the 1940s film tournament. Uh, I'm pretty sure that was maybe back at late 2018 we started that. Wow, that's a lot of work that we've put into this tournament. What's this wee shit? <laughs> Equal share of work that we've put into this <laughs> tournament. <laughs> no, in the end, after many, many months, years, battles, tournaments, whatever you want to say, we've come down to the Empire Strikes Back against Pulp Fiction. And in the end, 53% is the deciding victory here. And it goes to the Empire Strikes Back. Takes wow. it down. Never lost a single match. There you go. So well done to the Empire Strikes Back for winning our Tournament of Champions. We will send you out some sweet, sweet merch. Oh. <laughs> now, in saying that, we've been having a little conversation and we're coming up to our three-year anniversary coming up in uh, one or um, – how long is December? Two, two months? I think it's 31 days. <sighs> I hate you sometimes. December's coming up in a couple of months, so what we're going to be doing for our three-year anniversary is we're going to do a little special breakdown. It's not going to be a film on the top 250 films of all time. It's going to be a breakdown on one of the films from the bottom 100 films of all time, according to IMDb. Ah, the real treasures that are out there, eh? Oh, yeah. There are some quality, quality films on that list, and we need your help to decide which one we're going to be doing. So we are going to be holding a 64-film bracket tournament from now until the start of December where we've picked 64 of those films from the bottom 100. And you guys are going to vote on not necessarily which one is the worst, but which one you want us to break down. So in saying that, we have our first 16 matches in the first round here, Dean. We have Birdemic, Shock and Terror. Go to that one. Is it actually called Birdemic, Shock and Terror? Yeah, Birdemic, Shock and Terror. Okay. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've seen things. Yeah, good. Uh, that's going against The Cat in the Hat. Did uh, Hitchcock direct that one? I think he was uh, given... Like co-producer credits. And The Cat in the Hat, that was actually on my TV the other day. I walked past and I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Enough of this. (laughs) All right, next match we have Daddy Day Camp against The Open House. I wouldn't mind watching Daddy Day Camp. Is that the, uh, is that Eddie Murphy? No, this, I think this is the, the Cuba Gooding Jr. sequel. Oh, see, that's probably really funny. (laughs) Well, hopefully it wins then. Maybe we, hopefully we can get some genuine laughs out of the one we have to do. Next match is... Cats against Piranha 3DD. Ah, 3DD. I'm sure there's something to uh, get out of that one. I feel like Cats is going to make a good surge towards the end here. I'm not going to lie. And in saying that, I'm not going to watch this bloody Cats film you're giving me until either this thing wins or it goes out of this tournament. Next match is Jaws the Revenge against The Fog. Next match after that, we have Going Overboard. I believe it's the first Adam Sandler film he ever did way back in the 80s against The Hungover Games. You're going to get a lot of these sort of stupid films, these sort of uh, spoof films that are in there. Ah, like Fifty Shades of Black. That is in here. Next match is Steel against Crossroads. Is that the Britney Spears movie? That is true. Our next match here is Battlefield Earth against oh. the 1998 version of The Avengers. Jesus. I mean, Battlefield Earth is so bad. that I, I can see that making a really like, deep run. That won't be fun to do. That is just <laughs> god-awful boring. Next match is Rollerball against Bucky Larson, born to be a star. Hmm. I've not seen them. The next match is, I believe, the Paris Hilton-led Pledge This against Pluto Nash. Ah, another Eddie Murphy film. The next match here is, I don't know if it's any related to the Hungover Games at all, but it is the Starving Games versus Dumb and Dumberer when Harry met Lloyd. Hey, I've seen that, I think. Next match is Meet the Spartans against the Love Guru. What is it with these Mike Myers, Eddie Murphy films? They made some shocking films. The next match here. Oh, two films that you have seen. We have Troll 2 against Fifty Shades of Black. Troll 2 could do well. 
Yeah, I feel like that's one of the, the bigger so bad it's good kind of films on here that everyone yeah. says. Next match here we have Son of the Mask against Ballistic XV Server. Match after that is Slenderman against the Master of Disguise. Is Slenderman a horror? Yes, supposedly horror. You know, quote unquote horror. Second last match here we have the Mariah Carey film Glitter against Street Fighter The Legend of Chun-Li. Is that a Street Fighter sequel? Yes. Don't think it's, you know, like a direct sequel to the Street Fighter. Maybe it's like a spin-off. And the last match here for this round of uh, 16 matches in our final 64 is the Nicolas Cage film Left Behind against the 1990 version of Captain America. Ah, with the uh, stuck-on-ears. Yes. (laughs) So... A ton of terrible films there. I I don't know which one I want to see take it down in the end. So, what's next? All right, Dean, it's time for our random number generator pick this week. Do you want to spin the number or do you want me to? Uh, I don't trust you, so I will pick the number. (laughs) Are you ready? All right, what do you got? All right, random number generator from 1 to 250. Here we go. 51. We are doing Cinema Paradiso. Hey! Three foreign films in a row, Hendo. I think I think this is a first. I I mean, was two in a row a first? It probably was. Yeah, I can't remember. Could have been. All right, Cinema Paradiso. I have not seen that film in must be fifteen years. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, I don't even remember watching it. I don't remember what where I was. Well, we're going to rectify that next week, aren't we, Dean? So, thank you very much, everyone, for checking out this episode on Rafifi, and we will see you next week for Cinema Paradiso. Bye!